0: We've been in a series titled Jesus the I Am, and this series, of course, we mentioned is based on the seven I Am statements that we have in the book of John. And today we're going to actually be wrapping up uh, this series as we um, prepare for Palm Sunday and, and, and Easter, the Easter celebration. And today we're actually going to be focusing on the 5th. Um, I am statement and um, we're going to say when well, Jesus says I am the resurrection and the life now we're going to be focusing on John chapter 11 um, so uh, we're going to be reading quite a few verses um, most of it actually but here's what uh, we will discover today is that a crisis um, will always reveal the true heart or character of a person and it's that moment of truth where you can no longer pretend to be someone you're not. It's this turning point in your life. Um, Most of us have many turning points in our lives. These are those decisive moments um, where everything changes. Uh, These moments can be uh, positive or negative, but when we encounter these turning points, a decision must be made. And after we make uh, these decisions, there is a distinct uh, before and after. Um, We compare what was, we look into the future, and we compare what could be, but ultimately we look at what is, what's here and now. So a turning point in our life can often be um, life-altering. You guys ever had any life-altering turning points? For example, uh, when I got married, that's a turning point in my life. Everything changes, it's a positive change. Um, But the school that you attend, the career you choose, the person you date, serving in the ministry, uh, choosing to adopt a child, uh, choosing to give birth to a child uh, because of unplanned pregnancy, all of these are turning points in people's lives. And John 11 represents a major turning point in the lives of several people, including Jesus himself. It focuses on the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, So here's how I want you to see uh, this story. And if you're taking notes, most good stories have a problem. They raise attention and then offer a solution. In Genesis, um, God created man with a purpose and said, It is very good, and yet our very good story has a problem caused by sin, and it raises this tension of us learning how to be reconciled with God but also to be reconciled with each other. And then we're offered a solution. If we place our faith in Jesus, our sins will be forgiven, and we can be reconciled with Jesus forever. We see these three things. A problem, a tension, and a solution. Can we say that together? A problem, attention, and a solution. Just trying to make sure you guys are awake. Whenever there's a problem, it creates a turning point, and as I said earlier, we have to make a decision. And here's the crazy thing about our human existence. Life comes with unexpected problems. The problem in the story in John 11, which we'll read, is a story of sickness and death. John 11, verses 1 to 3. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love, is ill for the first time in the Gospel of John we're now introduced uh, to some close friends of Jesus Mary Martha and Lazarus but Lazarus is ill And if you have never read uh, Luke 10 before reading this you won't understand the dynamics of this relationship and we read in the first three verses where it says that this was the same Mary who you know washed Jesus feet with her tears in Luke 10, Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha. Martha is preoccupied trying to make sure everyone has a good meal. She's in the kitchen. And as she's doing this, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Uh, she wants to commune with him. She wants to learn his ways. But Martha, she's bothered by this, because she's bothered that Mary is sitting, just sitting around doing nothing. Luke 10, verse 40 says, but Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Jesus gave Martha a gentle rebuke in verses 41 to 42 of Luke 10. He says, uh, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. In other words, Martha, leave Mary alone. Pretty simple. So that's this relationship um, that Jesus had with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're pretty close. So the problem in this story is, again, sickness and death. And this is the problem for human existence. We experience sickness and eventually... We experience death. Jesus is confronted with this problem in the lives of his friend. John 11 verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now you have to understand just before he made that statement in John 11 verse 8, the disciples were concerned that Jesus was going anywhere close to Jerusalem because the last time they were there, uh, they were trying to kill him and he had left. And now they're saying, I understand that Lazarus is sick, but do you want to go back there? Because if you go back, you have the potential of being killed. Jesus is saying, This is our friend. We have to go back. So there's a turning point in the verse we just read. Jesus renames death and he calls it sleep. John 11, verses 12 to 13. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. So death is present, so that's the problem in the story. And whenever we're presented with a problem, the first thing we often ask is, what is the solution? Rather than getting a solution, The problem in our lives often gets worse. And this story is no different. Problems create unwanted tension in our lives. The tension is that Lazarus is sick and Jesus delays going to see him. Verses five to six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, this is actually a huge tension in our story. Jesus loved his friends, heard that Lazarus was sick, so he decided to stay two days longer. Now, whichever version of the Bible you read, um, verse 6 starts with an adverb. The, The Greek texts highlight the importance of that word, So, and you see that comma there, because there's a connection between the love of Jesus in verse 5 and the delay of Jesus in verse 6. Likewise, there's a connection between the love that Jesus has for you and him delaying his response to you. See, we expect uh, Jesus to respond immediately, and sometimes he chooses to delay his response. Why the delay by Jesus? Did he realize the urgency of the matter? Of course. Look at verses 5 and 6 again to see the connection. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The delay is intentional, but it's also motivated by love. Do you ever get frustrated having to wait on God for anything? Do you guys ever get frustrated waiting for God? Let's see, a half hand maybe. See, sometimes we have unanswered prayers and we can't understand the reason for the delay. The delay in our minds just doesn't make sense. These delays by God slowly morph into disappointments and bitterness because we misinterpret the delays in our lives. And it's tempting to believe that if God delays, he feels indifferent or doesn't care about us. You know, I've been waiting to get another staff pastor since last year. And I've been waiting to, for almost two weeks to get a response concerning the office space when I was promised two days. See, Jesus' delays are not indications of indifference. It's an indication of his love, even if we can't see it. There's a distinct purpose in each delay. Verses 3 to 4. So the the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It is for the glory of God that we're seeing. The resurrection of Lazarus is a sign that points to a deeper spiritual reality. John included this story so that we can understand who Jesus is in our lives. God still performs miracles, but he will only perform them if it brings him glory. The lesson of this passage is not that when we face physical death, we should expect to be raised from the dead like Lazarus. That's not the purpose of it. Because after Lazarus is actually raised from the dead, he experienced new troubles and would later die again, but this time permanently, physical death. So this story is about who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and the eternal implications for our faith. Although problems create this unwanted tension in our lives, Jesus has a solution to every problem. There are three encounters that we find from verses 17 through 44 that provides the framework to this solution. Each of these encounter has a unique experience between Jesus and each of these siblings. the first encounter is between Jesus and Martha to demonstrate that Jesus is the prophet who speaks truth to us. Look at what happens when Jesus arrives in Bethany. Verses 17 to 19. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Jesus arrives, they're in this week-long grieving process. This is common for uh, Jewish people. Lazarus is already buried because burial is usually done on the same day because of the decomposition of the body. In verse 20, it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now Martha had this Extroverted personality. It's a nice way of saying she can also be somewhat of a hothead. Um, She's just like uh, Peter in that sense. So, as soon as she heard that Jesus is coming, she got up and she rushes out to meet him. Mary is still inside. She's mourning the death of her brother. But Martha, she's furious. Verse 21 Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You have to actually read the Greek to understand that this is actually not a tone. Martha is not simply speaking in a general tone. She's upset that Jesus didn't show up when her family needed him, but especially when he intentionally waited two more days. So Martha is, you know, probably thinking, Jesus, you've been to my house. I fed you when Mary was at your feet. We're close friends. I trust you, and yet the one time that we need you, you intentionally delayed your return. I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for us. See, Martha is not appealing to the divinity of Jesus, she's appealing to to the humanity of Christ, which is through the friendship that they have. People need a moment to grieve loss. We're human. See, God never asked us to live in a holy bubble. So don't deceive yourselves into believing that we shouldn't behave like humans. We live in this world, so our experiences will be in the context of this world. Every emotion that we experience will be in the context of this world. Some days you're having a rough day, and you're thinking to yourself, please be careful how you speak to me, because you might not like the way I respond. That ever happened to you guys before? All right, I'm the only one? Okay, I'm the only one that ever thought that. <laughs> Thank you. See, it's possible to be human and Christian. I always tell people not to mistake my silence for being passive. See, I stay informed and, but being the person that I am, I give you latitude up to a point. So being firm and being upset doesn't make you any less of a Christian. Martha was a Christian And she was upset at her friend, Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that she also lacks faith. How do we know this? Verses 22 to 23. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will arise again. So Jesus makes Martha a promise. I promise you this. He's going to rise again. Martha believes, but she lacks an understanding of what Jesus meant because she thought that this was just two friends talking. But Jesus had already shifted to his divinity. He shifted from being Jesus the friend to being Jesus God in the flesh. John 11:24. 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This statement that she made was an orthodox Jewish belief. They believed that there would be this final resurrection at the end time. So what happened is that when we, what we have right now, and we say, okay, we believe in this resurrection, that's not what they believed in the old days. Jesus says, Martha, you're not hearing me. I'm no longer speaking to you as a friend. I'm about to reveal my divinity. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I love how Jesus asked a direct question. See, when you ask uh, someone an open ended question, you don't always know the truth, you don't always know how they're really feeling. But whenever you ask a direct question that requires a yes or no answer, you know, when someone goes around the world, they've already given an answer. It's a no. They might as well stop talking, right? Do you love this job? Well, I love the benefits. I love the way we dress. No, no. Do you love the job, yes or no? Follow the rabbit trail, but at the end of the day, I just want to know yes or no. Jesus says, Martha, I get it. Your brother is dead and you're upset at me. But based on my track record and everything you know about my ministry, do you believe the words that I speak? This was a direct question. Look at verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I want you to keep that verse for, for a moment because Martha does something that is common for so many believers. So often we are busy doing the things of God that we never learn how to recognize when God actually shows up. Jesus is physically present with Martha. She's sent to call him, but since he didn't show up when she desired, she was on the verge of missing the miracle that she needed. See, Martha is stuck living based on what she knows about Jewish doctrine, while missing this newness of life that Jesus was trying to offer. The resurrection was a Jewish tradition. That's what it was. It was a prominent belief as it was and not as it is for us today. So that was in the background of their minds. Martha expected that at the end of time, that Jesus was about to perform this miracle. That's what she's thinking. But Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna wait till the end of time. I'm gonna perform this miracle right now. The resurrection of Lazarus anticipate Jesus overcoming death three days after his crucifixion. Jesus says, Martha, resurrection is not simply for us to believe, it's something for us to experience. See, it's one thing to believe the truth, but it's another thing to experience the power of the truth in your relationship with Jesus. So being a follower of Jesus is an experience that's guided by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God draws us to Christ, we receive forgiveness of sin, and the rest of our lives we're guided through an experience because of the Holy Spirit. Martha needed an experience with the divine. So Jesus does something very important in our text. He demonstrated that friendships are still limited concerning spiritual things. In that moment, Jesus, he removed the robe of humanity. It's as though he's saying, this is as far as you can go. Even on my best day as a Christian, some problems can only be solved by God himself. See, there's some things I can just go and solve. If I'm hungry, just prepare a meal. But sometimes we need a miracle and we need God to show up. You have to know when to remove yourself out the way so that you're not in danger of playing God. That's what Jesus said. He says, Martha, I'm speaking to you as the resurrection and the life because no earthly friendship can solve the problem that you're facing right now. Your brother is dead and an earthly friendship can't do that. On Friday, I was speaking with one of the doctoral students that I mentor, and we were talking about how so many Christians focus on reading the Bible, but they never embody the spirit or the person of the text. John 1 verses 1 and verse 14 says in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word itself was God. Verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So to embody the text is to embody Christ himself. Martha was dealing with loss, but she was also rooted in tradition. She knew the law. She was rooted in the law and how things are supposed to be that she never considered that the Jesus that she spoke about was right in her midst. The verse says, I know that he is coming, but Jesus is there. Jesus wanted her to stop and recognize that she was having a spiritual encounter with God himself. Jesus says I am everything you're describing. The only difference is that he says I'm moving the future into your present for my glory. So let me ask you a direct question. Are you able to recognize a spiritual encounter Jesus? If your answer is yes, how do you describe a spiritual encounter with Jesus? See, we often say, oh, the prince of God is here. How do you describe that? What's that feeling? Because it has to be more than saying, I just know. And if your answer is no, how do you know that you're not having a spiritual encounter with Jesus? See, likewise, you can't just say, I don't feel anything. Jesus said, Martha, you're having an encounter with the resurrection and the life. The question is, do you believe? Martha makes a confession in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. It was a very direct question by Jesus And he received a direct answer from Martha before Lazarus is raised from the dead. See, if Lazarus is already risen, it's easy to say, yes, I believe you. But when you can make a declarative answer before the miracle takes place, that shows you your belief. Now, you've heard me talk about, you know, some things that I believe God is going to do in this church. You don't see the revival taking place in this church. You don't see people getting involved like they should, you don't see us having regular baptisms. You probably don't even see the miracles. You might say it's all the opposite. In fact, we don't have our own building. But the direct question is, although there's nothing you have except the words that I speak, do you believe? The answer to that question influences every decision you make. It influences how you give. It influences how you serve. It influences how you respond to leadership. It influences how Jesus responds to prayers that we pray. Martha, do you believe? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus leaves us with a choice to believe his words and worship him or Reject him as Lord over our lives. He's saying, believing in me doesn't mean that we escape physical death. We will experience physical death, but we will live. What do you mean we will live? We will have eternal life. Death will not have the last word. So we need Jesus as the prophet who comes and speaks the truth. And that's the story with Martha. But in the encounter with Mary... We need Jesus as priest who sympathizes with those who are suffering. Jesus is about to respond to a friend who is grieving much differently from her sister. Martha needed to hear the truth of who Jesus is. But Mary, Mary needed comfort. Sometimes a word of comfort is more effective in the moment. We have to follow the ways of Christ. What did he do? Whenever there's a crowd gathered throughout scriptures, Jesus was first moved with compassion. He's first moved in his spirit before he spoke truth. We must learn how to contextualize the audience we engage. Look at this encounter between Jesus and Mary. Verses 28 to 33. When she had said this, talking about Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Mary's words are identical to her sister Martha. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But it doesn't mean the same response by Jesus will work. Mary needed something that spoke to her emotions. Jesus was moved in his spirit, and he didn't even bother to give Mary a lecture. That's not what he did. Verse 34 and 35. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Notice the humanity of Jesus. This is a picture of his ministry as the sympathetic high priest. Uh, This is also one of the three times in the scriptures where Jesus is weeping. Um, The other two times we find is in Luke 19, verse 41, and Hebrews 5, verses 7 to 9. Three times we find Jesus weeping in scriptures. Now in verse 36 of John 11, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? Here's a reminder for us, there is a place for teaching truth, and there's a place for weeping with those who weep, or comforting those who mourn. Uh, Tim Keller suggests that sometimes people need to be shaken with the truth, and other times, you just need someone to weep with you. Tim Keller continued by saying, Jesus Christ is never strong when he should be tender, or tender when he should be strong. Yet it isn't just that he is the perfect, wonderful counselor. He is the truth itself come in tears. He is deity incarnate in the flesh. And the lastly, we'll see with the encounter. I want you to see this encounter between Jesus and Lazarus. Jesus demonstrated his power over death. I'm going to read just the text for you so you can see, uh, get a chance to see the miracle. Verses 38 to 44. Then Jesus deeply moved again. As you can see, I mentioned earlier that he's always moved with compassion before he responds. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Pause for a moment. Here's why scholars believe that Jesus waited four days. There was a common belief among the Jews that the spirits of the deceased would come back and would linger at the tomb three days after a person died. They believed that the spirit lingered there, waiting to see if the the body is actually dead. Now that's what they actually believe, But when the body begins to decompose, the spirit would leave. Now that was a common belief, not something biblical. I always talk about reading both the cultural and the biblical. So the Bible doesn't teach us about that tradition, but Jesus must have understood that common belief, so he waited four days. Because if Lazarus had been raised within the first three days, then people would suggest that he wasn't dead. Maybe he was just in a coma. So Jesus waits four days so he could display the power of his resurrection life by raising Lazarus from the dead. Let's go to verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you That you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You have to understand why Jesus called Lazarus by name. Because this resurrection life that Christ had, if he had simply gone to the tomb and says, come forth, all those dead bodies would be coming forth. But Jesus wanted to perform a specific miracle for the people. We have the possibility of eternal life because of what Jesus accomplished through his own death and resurrection. Amen? In closing, I want to ask you some questions. A couple questions. Are you living with the disappointment of God delays? What do you need from God right now? What do you need from God this afternoon? Because if you're living with the disappointment that God hasn't come through for you yet what do you need I'm asking you to consider a specific question because those specific questions will give you a specific answer and if you're not a Christian today I invite you to lean into the confession and faith that Mary that Martha has she said I believe you are the Christ the Son of God who is coming into the world. Don't just believe in this idea of the resurrection. This is an invitation to experience Jesus. Jesus came and he died for our sins. But he's coming again. That is the truth. But I also want this moment to be a moment of compassion. I don't know what's going on within your life. Again, you know what's happening. But I want you to think about something that's very specific to you. Something you might have been praying for for years. Because Jesus can give us specific answers. It's easy for us to say, God, do whatever you want. But it's much different for us to say, God, I'm believing you for this thing. I want to pray for you if you're believing God for this thing. I don't want to know what it is to have this faith. We've seen in scriptures where Jesus would just say, go and the healing is going to take place. So I'm going to be praying for us. I'm going to pray on whatever it is that you're, that you're thinking about. I'm going to give you an opportunity to spend a few moments to pray about that thing, a specific thing. Then I'm going to pray for us. Is that all right? Let's spend a few moments just thinking about that thing. thank you thank you for being the resurrection and the life God there are sometimes there are things that we might experience in our lives and we're wondering will you ever respond but in this moment God we're thinking about specific things in our lives maybe it's a career change Maybe it's the illness of a loved one. Maybe it's just something that we just desire and we just believe in that God that you can come through. Lord God, I pray that as we think about this specific thing, that you will be in the midst. God, I'm even going to bring our church before us, God. There are things that we're praying about. We're praying about, you know, an office space. We're praying about our own building. We're praying, God, to see revival in this church. We're praying, God, to have more baptisms, God. We're praying to see people's lives being transformed. We're praying, God, that this church will make an impact in this city. Those are specific things we're praying about, God. I'm praying, God, for even the one that might be watching, the one that might be in this room who doesn't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, for that person that you will bring salvation to them even now they can look at you and say forgive me of my sins knowing God that you will forgive them so I pray God for these specific things that's on our hearts and our minds that you will respond you responded to Martha and Mary's request they had faith so I'm praying God in faith believing that you will respond to our prayers I pray God that you continue to move in our lives God help us to have you be the center of all that we do. Cover us under your blood, God. I pray, God, that you help us that we continue to learn how to trust you in all that we do. Let your will be done in and through our lives, God. We just are grateful for everything that you would do, God. Bless our families, God. Help us to make a difference in the lives of the people that we encounter. We just love you and we just give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.